Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I had uh, asked for prayer for myself for a preaching I was doing this week, and uh, the Lord really helped me, and I'm very thankful for your prayers, so I really appreciate your ministry to to me and others through praying for me. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and maybe you're looking just above that and go, wait a second, did we handle the part about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount? In fact, we did, uh, lumped that together with the passages on giving and praying a few months ago. So we'll pick things up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and I'll read through to verse 24. If what I say today makes you nervous, I'm probably doing something right. And uh, I say that because the passage that follows the one we're in this morning is all about dealing with anxiety. So next week, Lord willing, or in the coming weeks, we'll be thinking about anxiety. Um, This week's passage is really uh, what will often make us nervous. And that's a wholehearted commitment to Christ's kingdom and not to putting our trust in money. And once uh, we don't have our trust in money, we often find anxiety begins to grip us. And so we'll be looking at these things uh, together over the coming weeks. The passage we're going to read, just give you a little orientation to it. It has three striking pairs of images, three striking pairs of images that teach us about how believers are supposed to think about money and materialism. And the three pairs you're going to see involve treasures, eyes, and masters. Treasures, eyes, and masters. And they're not all quite the same as we read the passage. We're going to notice when it talks about earthly treasures and heavenly treasures, we come across two commands, a do and a don't. And then the next two images about eyes and masters give us the wisdom we need to help obey the do's and the don'ts that Jesus brought up when he talked about treasures. So let's read um, the passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's Word. Let me pray. Father, we come before You. Your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's able, even when it's exhorting us to comfort us, it's able when it speaks to something we're thinking about this week to instruct us, and even when it's the furthest thing from our mind, 
your word is able to guide us. And I pray that every single saint, Lord God, in this place, every Christian would be ministered to by your word. And even those who don't know your word would come to love it and see your wisdom and your salvation. I plead with you, Lord God, to help me preach in the strength which you supply and even let my preaching be a demonstration of your spirit and of power and let it be constrained by your love. Lord, we beg you for wisdom and help in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a story this week I want to tell you, and it's a story about a preacher, and the preacher was doing a Bible study on the seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, envy, wrath, and pride. And he was going along to this Bible study, and as he was preparing for one of the upcoming studies, his wife says to him, are they announcing the topics before you give them? Before you go and give this particular Bible study, do they announce whether you're speaking on lust or gluttony or greed or sloth or envy for that particular Bible study? And he said, yeah, yeah, they're, they're announcing my topics. And uh, she said, you watch. For the greedy study, less people will come. It'll be poorly attended. People won't show up. And sure enough, as wives often are, she was right. And it's neat that she called it, but what I actually found interesting was what the preacher made of people not coming to the Bible study on greed. Why do you think that would be? People don't come to a Bible study on greed. And his conclusion was very interesting. I thought it was fascinating. I think he's probably right. You might come to the conclusion, well, they didn't come because they were afraid of conviction. But it's interesting, actually, when you, when you hold Bible studies on issues that Christians feel convicted about, they often come. And so his conclusion at the end of the day wasn't that people didn't show up because they were afraid of conviction. His conclusion came because they did not come because no one thinks they struggle with greed. It seemed irrelevant. And he mentioned, this preacher mentioned, that in all of his years of pastoral ministry, he's had people come to his office for the lust they were committing, for the lies they had told. But no one in all of his ministry, and I can actually say this about mine after two decades, I don't think I've ever had anyone call me in the middle of the night or book an appointment or set up a time to talk and just say, you listen, you, you need to understand something. I'm I'm greedy. So I want to preach an irrelevant sermon for you this morning. <laughs> One that doesn't affect any of us. Now that would be a comical statement to anyone else on the planet. I mean, the richest civilization that has ever existed in the history of mankind, and would you believe it, not one of them with a greed problem. And I was thinking about this. What makes greed so hard to see? Why is greed so hard to detect? Not in others. It's very easy to detect in others. 
Why is greed so hard to see in ourselves? And I thought about a parallel. Last week we were talking a little bit about bitterness. As we talked about forgiveness, we talked about bitterness. And the thing with bitterness was that bitterness is hard to see because bitterness is consumed with someone else's sin. Right? Like when I'm lying, i got to face my lie. When I stole something, whatever I stole is in my hands. But when I'm bitter, I'm thinking about you. You're on my mind. Right? And I'm not thinking about how I'm being bitter. And so the ability to look outside of ourselves at other people's sins keeps us from noticing the sin that is inside of us. And it's the same with greed. The guy who works at White Castle, he knows how the guy who works on the line at Ford spends his money. And he knows that it's basically impossible to live off White Castle wages and be greedy. And the guy who works on the line at Ford, he sees how those executives spend their money. And he knows that there's no way for a guy who's working on the line at Ford to be greedy. And those executives for auto dealers, they know shareholders who are making 10 times as much as they are. And those shareholders that are making 10 times as much as the executives, they know that Elon and Bill exist. And Elon and Bill give so much to philanthropy that they might miss any greed in their own lives. Greed is always something someone else struggles with. Our desires for a little more are always based on our appreciation of the good things in life, our love of excellence, our just ability to our desire for stability or a little better. It's never greed, it's always something else. Now let me be as clear as I can with this with you about this. Jesus does not share our optimism about our hearts. He does not share the optimism you and I may have about our personal freedom from greed. And I want to say to you that all of the people he was speaking to, I can almost guarantee this, all of the people he was speaking to when he originally preached the Sermon on the Mount had tasted less of the pleasures and treasures of this life than anyone in this room. And he thought they needed a word about greed and materialism. So this is not, talking about money and greed and materialism is not something that the rich need, though the rich certainly need it. Notice that Jesus actually says here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So he's speaking to all of his disciples. This is something that every disciple needs to consider. Every disciple needs to think about how they are spending their treasures, how they're using their treasures, how they think about money, how they think about worldly goods and the things that money can buy. Every single believer, Jesus anticipates needing instruction on this matter. The rich, the poor alike. He knows that money can deeply affect our relationship with him. 
Notice this passage there at the end of verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The most important thing in the Christian life, beyond knowing this or that detail of how you're supposed to do this or that and this or that situation, the most important matter in the Christian life is how's your heart? Where's your heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart come the issues of life. The most important issue at all, before you get to what I ought to be doing down the line, is where is my heart? And Jesus tells us, your heart is rightly oriented if it's laying up treasures in the right place. And that applies to poor people. Pastor Jones, who grew up quite impoverished, our former Pastor Jones in Cameroon would say that, that materialism and wealth is a massive temptation for the poor. And then for the rich, materialism and wealth is a massive temptation. Wanting more stuff is a human temptation. Being consumed with materialism is something not just that those people deal with, but that we deal with. Emmanuel Baptist Church is in a battle against materialism. Emmanuel Baptist Church ought to be caring for one another in terms of how she relates to money. It's something all of us think about and struggle with. And it's something that Jesus gives us instruction in. So my first point is going to be his first point. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, it's one of those things where you wish my next line is, there's an interesting Greek term that means this really doesn't mean lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But, no, having uh, studied the passage, I can tell you it basically means exactly what it sounds like it means. Don't stockpile material wealth. Don't keep adding up material wealth. Don't keep adding to your Wealth, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And treasures is money and all the things money can buy. Don't keep amassing those. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now at this point, after saying that as clearly as I could, the normal mode for commentators that I've read is to assure you there's other parts of the Bible that say different things. So, for example, uh, Proverbs 6 assures us uh, that it's not wrong. Uh, we, we're not called to live check to check if we can avoid it. Rather, we're to look to the ant. And what does the ant do? The ant... Uh, gathers, it says, prepares his bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest, which means the ant gathers what it's going to need three seasons before it's going to need it. And so the whole idea of gathering some wealth so that you're not living moment to moment, check to check, can be a good one. The ant does it. Or someone might come along and say, hey, I know Jesus says do not lay up treasures in heaven, I mean on earth, but let's remember that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says the rich have been given everything to enjoy. Amen? Amen. It says that. That's right. But, but I have to... But I, that's true. We should always balance the Scriptures out with the rest of the Scriptures. 
That's right. But Jesus knew that. He knew the balance. And he chose to say it this starkly. So I just want to sort of let this passage sit on me. Because my tendency is to take the rest of the Bible, and by the time I got the rest of the Bible, guess what I don't have? Do not lay up treasures on earth. So, how do we approach this verse? How do we approach this verse? Jesus wants to say starkly, plainly, clearly, this morning to one of the wealthiest congregations ever gathered, and you go, oh, there's wealthier congregations. That's the problem. Okay? He wants to say to us, do not lay up treasures on earth. I think the best way to answer the question, how do I not lay up treasures on earth? The best way to answer the question, how do I not lay up treasures on earth, is to ask, what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? Well, that takes a little thinking. So let's do that thinking together. First of all, what is heaven? What is heaven? If I'm supposed to lay up treasures in heaven, what is it? Well, it's the unseen realm where God reigns. It's the unseen realm where God executes his perfect reign. We pray right now in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, uh, your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is the place where everything is being done perfectly, where everything is being done as it ought to be. And uh, heaven is the place where believers go when they die. When believers die, they enter into heaven. Now, ultimately, that winds up getting spelled out in the new heavens and the new earth. But the Bible is very often simply to, uh, to speak of the place we go when we die as heaven. Uh, Matthew 5.12, we don't need to go any further than the Sermon on the Mount to think about this. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So believers are going to go to heaven where they're going to receive a heavenly reward when they die. This life is not everything. If you're battling pain and fighting sin this morning, this life is not all there is. There's heaven. The believer is awaiting time and eternity in another realm where God rules and reigns and where everything happens perfectly according to his desires. And heaven, we're told, right here in this passage, is a place where there is no decay and no depravity. No decay and no depravity. The problem with this world is when you buy a new car, the minute you drive it off the lot, it starts to depreciate, and then someone scratches it, and then you ding it, and it's still worth the same amount according to the bank. And so the decay process sets in. But then on top of that, someone can grab your keys and steal it. 
And so everything in this life is subject to decay and depravity. But look at, look at what we hear about heaven. Look what it says there about heaven. It says in verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust destroys. There's no decaying, no bodily decay, no material decay. Everything you buy brand new in heaven, buy. Everything you get brand new in heaven is brand new forever. In fact, if anything, I bet it gets shinier. It gets patina. It gets, it, gets, it gets more and more beautiful as the ages go by. There is no decay in heaven. And on top of there being no decay in heaven, there's no depravity. Notice it says where thieves do not break in and steal. Nobody locks their doors in heaven. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm prepare a room for you and there's no need to fortress your room to keep your room protected from the, you know, there's some people in you know, that part of heaven, well, you don't want to go over there past dark. There's none of that in heaven. In heaven, you can walk in any neighborhood at any time of day. The streets paved with gold are always lighting things up and it's just glorious all the time. And what we're told in this passage is that there is a link between what we do on earth and our enjoyment of heaven. There is a link between what we do on earth and what we enjoy in heaven. It's what's called laying up treasures in heaven. Okay, do not lay up treasures on earth, but do lay up treasures in heaven. Where is heaven? It's this perfect realm where God reigns, where there's no decay, there's no depravity, and I have the ability to affect my time in heaven today by where I lay up treasures. Now, this is amazing because I've been around this congregation a lot, and this is some thoughtful people. you got people analyzing the stock markets and investing at just the right time for a payoff. And you've got people who are looking at how to buy homes to make passive income and turn that around. You've got people looking at building careers that'll build them income. You've got, you've got people who are analyzing life carefully to make sure they get the best ROI, the best return on investment. And I'm telling you what, no matter how well you do, it's all going to burn. And no matter how well you do, it could all be gone tomorrow. Like, oh, I keep my investments in the most conservative 401ks imaginable. Good for you. The stock market can crash and burn in a minute. Yeah, I keep mine in gold and silver. Yeah, I know. Thieves can never touch that. I get it. When we were buying our last house, uh, the real estate agent told us about a neighborhood that had been built you got to take a little bit of knowledge of construction here. Most, many houses now are built. you got the interior drywall. Then you got the studs and insulation. Then you got the plywood or OSB oscillated strand board. And then you got the vinyl siding. This particular construction company omitted that piece of wood on the outside. So it just went insulation, studs, vinyl siding. Meaning you could break in with an X-Acto knife. You can just cut your way in to the side of the house. But Jesus is telling us that that's the case for anything in this life. There's nowhere you can put things where there's no chance of them being stolen. Nowhere. 
There's no place you can put things where there's no chance of depreciation. There's no amount of millions you can make where you cannot lose it all. And if you manage to get it in just the right Swiss bank account, in just the right vault, and no one touches it, you're going to die. And you can't take it with you. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. As one person put it. So what we're being told here is that our investments on this earth are always insecure. I'm not saying there's not wisdom. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in snake oil salesmen. I'm not saying any of that. I'm, not, I'm just saying no matter how well you do, it's always insecure. Subject to decay, subject to theft, subject to loss. But in heaven, there is guaranteed ROI forever. You cannot make better investments than investing for the future in heaven. Everything you ever invest in heaven always appreciates and is always there to meet you when you get there. We have so many people in our day preparing for retirement, but we have so few preparing for death. You might get to spend 20, 30, maybe 40 years in retirement. My grandfather just passed away at 94 years old. He was married 75 years. But that's what, a 29-year retirement? Praise God he was ready to die. What Jesus is telling us here is that there is a heaven. It's where God rules and reigns and the investments that you, you can make investments there now that will be untouched and will meet you when you arrive. And they will never diminish for eternity. So then the question becomes, how do you lay up treasures in heaven? Which bank do you call? Is there an app for that? How do you do this? How do you get to lay up treasures in heaven. And I'm going to surprise you here because my first comment is not going to be give to the church. That will be one of my comments. But one of the things that was striking to me through this study was how broad the concept of gaining heavenly rewards is in the scripture. It's bigger than we think. It's bigger than we think. You could be the sickest, poorest member of Emmanuel and make massive investments in heaven, which will greet you with untold riches in Christ for eternity. And you could be the richest and healthiest member of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and you could impoverish yourself in heaven. Now, being poor in heaven will be awesome. Everything in heaven will be awesome, but there is such a thing we'll see as loss of rewards. Okay, so how do you invest in heaven? Well, first of all, I need to kind of sensitize you to two words. The word reward and the word treasure. Treasure is the one we have in our text. Speak of the way we will be, and it's, it's just unbelievably gracious to even speak this way, and I'll explain a bit more about this in a bit. But reward and treasure speak of the way we will be paid back 
in heaven. I'm going to do this right now. I don't think I can go on without explaining that dynamic. You might get the idea from this idea of reward and treasure. Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth, lay them up in heaven. You might get the idea that the Christian life is one where you invest enough, and if you invest enough, you get rewarded with heaven. And of course, we saw this last week, nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible screams at us, we are not saved by works, we're not saved by anything we do, we're saved by grace. God isn't up in heaven kind of fretting over money, going, well, maybe, maybe if I sell bonds and they invest in me, I'll be able to make it through the next couple of millennia. That's not what's going on. He doesn't need anything we could give. He saves us by grace and grace alone. But then here's the amazing thing. After he saves us by grace and grace alone, there are zero works required to add to his grace. But then out of thankfulness, we get to do the works he prepared in advance for us to do. And miracle of miracles, he rewards us for it. It's like if I walked up to one of you and I said, no, I couldn't personally do this, but let's just imagine for a second. I walked up to one of you and I said, here is a credit card with $10 million pre-charged to it. And I want you to spend every penny. And then when the credit card company calls you to tell you how many rewards you've earned for spending that $10 million, I want you to keep those too. God gives us the free gift of salvation. Then we walk in obedience to him and he rewards us for the good works we did that were motivated sheerly by his grace. I mean, it's just a triumph of grace. It's just just grace upon grace upon grace. Now, how do you lay up treasures in heaven? How do you do that? How does that, how do treasures in heaven come into your life? Let me give you just a few examples. Being faithful in persecution is rewarded in heaven. Being faithful in persecution. And you see that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 12. You see that blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And remember, when we focused on persecution a few months back, we saw it's not just for the persecuted church in North Korea. It's it's for all Christians who endure any hostility as they walk the Christian life. You will be rewarded for all of it. Every eye roll that you endure through, every, every name calling, every time you're ostracized and pushed away from a friend group, Every time your body is threatened, there will be rewards accruing to your account in heaven for that faithfulness. Praying, fasting, and giving. Praying, fasting, and giving. Emmanuel, I know that many of you seek to be faithful in prayer. You try to grow in prayer. You may be discouraged by how, how, how you don't pray as you want, but you're trying to pray. And did you know, we will be rewarded for our prayers. Do you remember that when we looked at prayer and fasting and giving? In the Sermon on the Mount, let me just remind you. And when you pray, this is chapter 6, verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And at least part of that reward is the glories and the treasures of eternal life. Just for praying. Some of you, all you can do in a day because of health and whatnot, is pray, even pray weekly. You'll be rewarded for all of it. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Be focused on laying treasures up for yourself in heaven. How does that happen? Being faithful through persecution, through prayer, and I could read the same thing about fasting and about giving. How else do we earn treasures? Well, Faithful pastors are told they can win treasures by faithful ministry. Let me read you a passage here. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. I want to read you these verses and uh, walk through them with you because these, these actually bring out some important aspects of the teaching here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. The Apostle Paul, who's a preacher, who's an apostle, says... According to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. I planted a church. I'm a skilled master builder. I know what I'm doing. I know how to plant a church. And he's not doing that because he's proud. He's I, I'm doing it according to God's word. So I'm a skilled master builder. And there's other people now building on the foundation of the churches I've planted. That's good. And he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. He's like, hey, I laid the foundation of Jesus Christ. Don't anyone come along and try to build on my church with something other than Jesus Christ. Keep going with Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of any church. And then he goes on. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. And he's basically using an illustration. There's good ways to build gold, Silver, uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. That would mean the preaching of God's word, church discipline, faithfulness to God's word. Anything that comes out of God's word is going to be like precious stones. Or they can build with wood, hay, and straw. Just junk. Jesus' junk to feed the people of God. And he says this, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that is built on the foundation survives, gold, silver, and precious stones do survive fires. If the work that's built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. There's the reward idea. And if anyone's work, work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Now, this is the important part. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, what am I trying to bring out here? What I'm trying to bring out here is that rewards can often be used almost exactly the same as salvation. What's the reward? Eternal life. That's the reward. But here it's used a little differently, isn't it? There's a suffering of reward. There's a loss of reward, even though you're saved. And so you can be saved, but you can suffer a loss of reward. Now, someone might stop there and say, hey, wait a second. How on earth can you have some people getting lots of rewards and some people getting few rewards and heaven be happy for everyone? You ever thought about that? 
How do you suffer? How do you enjoy heaven when there's some people with way more rewards than you? Well, I got to just give you two quick illustrations. One, you can enjoy it because you're so full of love in heaven that you're actually able to enjoy it when other people have great things. Occasionally in this life, we're able to just really celebrate when we see other people and good things have good things, but often we have envy and covetousness. But in heaven, there'll be no envy or covetousness. We'll love. But the other reality, and I think this is the best illustration I've been able to come up to, is the difference between uh, myself and Aaron Thompson when we go to a Bella Fleck concert. This takes a bit of explanation. Bella Fleck is the greatest banjo player alive. Hands down, maybe no McKilney, but I'm going for Bella Fleck. Okay, Bella Fleck is an unbelievable banjo player. And uh, Aaron Thompson's mom, who I just saw is here, bought us tickets to go see Bella Fleck and his bluegrass band. And it was the most unbelievable concert I've maybe seen in my entire life. Now, I, I play a little banjo, and by play a little banjo, I mean I play a little banjo. Like, it's pathetic. It's, it sits there on my wall. I play the same three songs over and over. And uh, it almost never gets any better than that. Aaron Thompson plays the banjo. I mean, it's amazing to hear Aaron Thompson play the banjo. And we're sitting there just over a couple blocks away, listening to Bella Fleck play with some of the best mandolin, fiddle, bass players alive, and we are both thoroughly enjoying the concert 100%. I'm having no lack of enjoyment. But I know if I think about it, Aaron's enjoying it more. He actually knows what's happening. And I think when you think about more treasures or less treasures in heaven, you just have to remember, treasures in increase pleasures. And we're all going to be fully pleased in heaven. But, and, and our pleasure will never diminish another person's pleasure. But there is a sense in which you can lay up treasures in heaven and they will do the same thing treasures on earth do. Increase your pleasure. You can be very happy with a hamburger. Totally satisfied. That doesn't mean there's not a better steak out there. Okay. So I'm walking through passages. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? How do you do it? How do you do it? Faithful in persecution. Praying is rewarded. Giving is rewarded. Fasting is rewarded. Faithful ministry by Christian leaders is rewarded. Just going to work and being faithful is rewarded. Just going to any job and being faithful in that job is rewarded. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 24. I brought up the preacher verse just because it shows difference of reward, not because it means preachers are going to get more rewards. There'll be many preachers who get less rewards. But look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 24. And remember, it's talking to slaves. It's talking to people who've got jobs probably no one here would want. 
and is telling them if they do their job under the Lord, they'll be rewarded for it. They'll be laying up treasures in heaven by doing their Joe job to the glory of God. And so we see that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, where it says this, starting in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I could go on. We could do this all day. But I'll just give you a few more. I won't go to the verses. Staying faithful to Christian doctrine is rewarded. 2 John 8, just staying on the Bible, rewarded. Um, Using your talents, even when they're less than other people's talents, is rewarded. The man who has five talents is invested, is given five cities to rule over. In Luke, the man who has ten talents and invest them gets ten cities to rule over. So just giving what you have to the glory of God is rewarded. Uh, Hebrews 10.35, staying confident as a Christian is rewarded. Just staying confident. Like, I don't like my job. I don't like the way things have turned out with my family. I don't like my circumstances. I don't like my bank account. How can I invest in heaven? Stay confident in the gospel. It's rewarded. So laying up for your treasures in heaven is really about wholehearted giving of yourself to the Christian life. That's what it is. When anyone gives themselves wholly to the Christian life, they are laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. Now, let me come back to what I said at the beginning and then we'll shut her down. I said at the start that Jesus says, do not lay up treasures on earth, right? And we saw that the Greek for do not lay up treasures on earth meant do not lay up treasures on earth, okay? Where moth and rust destroy, don't do that. But the way this often gets commented on is go, but it's okay to be rich, and uh, but it's okay to save. And I think that's true, but it misses the point. Here's the point. The point is that all of your saving and all of your riches ought to be an investment in eternity. Jesus is not saying, do a little bit of this not hoarding, Let me just kind of bring your hoarding down by giving you this do not lay up treasures on earth verse. He's not doing that. He's not just trying to like get you to be a little less greedy with this one kind of shocking verse. He's trying to shift you over to a completely different way of life. Instead of thinking, how do I amass treasures on earth? Now your every decision is, how do I lay up treasures in heaven? And if you think you can buy a very big house that will help you increase treasures in heaven, do it. If you think you can amass finances that will help you then to give, do that. The point is not, hey, here's a shocking verse to make you a little less of a hoarder. The point is, reject a life that is aiming to amass treasures on earth. Just throw it out. Do not live like that. That's the wrong goal. Instead, with every prayer, 
with every financial decision, whether you're rich or poor, use your money and your time and your life so that you're laying up treasures in heaven. That's the goal. So when, when, a, when a thief in the, in the book of Ephesians reads, don't steal. Yeah, because stealing would be a way of laying up treasures on earth, getting earthly treasures but rather do honest work with your own hands. Why? So that you've got something to give. Why do I want something to give? So you can lay up treasures in heaven. So, should you be like the ant? Stockpiling for a better day? Yes, but not so you can have some treasures on earth, but so that you can use whatever you earn for building a kingdom in heaven. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out on 1 Timothy 5 because it just, it just says this so right. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6. Sorry, 1 Timothy 6 and then I'll, I'll sit down. 1 Timothy 6 just illustrates this so well because it connects the ideas of rewards in heaven with what the rich should do. And there is one sense in which everyone in this room is rich. Now, I really confused my kids. I've told you this before, but I really confused my kids growing up because, uh, you know, I'd get on these websites that show you, like, where you rank in the world. And even though, like, we were making almost below the poverty line when we first started in ministry, you know, these, these, these websites would say, you're in the top 1% on the planet. So I'd always be telling my kids, we're rich, we're rich, we're rich. And they'd say, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we go to Disneyland? I'd be like, no, we're too poor. And, and finally, you know, Jordana around five or six goes, so which is it? Are we rich or are we poor? I'm like, okay, on a global scale, we're doing really well. Here, not so much, okay? So, um, but there is one sense in which all of us have tremendous resources in this particular culture. And, and I want you to notice how Jesus comes to the rich with this exact same, it's almost like Paul had been reading Jesus. We'll see. But anyway, he, he says this. He goes, as for the rich in this present age, this is 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. It's the number one temptation of being rich. You think, I, I earned this, I made this, I worked hard, other people don't work as hard as me. And it's, it's very true that many people work hard and become rich. It's also true that a lot more than just your hard work happens for anyone to amass wealth. A lot more than just you happens. And sometimes you're actually not that hardworking and you wind up rich. And sometimes you're really hardworking and you don't wind up rich. So it's just not a one-to-one. Okay, so don't be proud. If you got money, don't be proud. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't act like you've finally laid up enough treasures on earth. Don't do that. Don't live like, oh, I finally filled my silos with grain. Now I can go to sleep in security. That's what the rich fool did. Don't live like that. He says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, but who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Wow, that's a dangerous thing to say to rich people. You know why he gave you all those riches? So you can enjoy them. That's right, though. That's right. Well, won't that be amassing treasures on earth? No. No, if you're enjoying them to the glory of God, you're being faithful to God, you're investing in heaven. You're laying up treasures in heaven. And I'm not just theologizing. We're going to see this in the text. Then it says this to the rich. They are to do good, 
and to be rich in good works. If you have money that lifts you up above daily subsistence, you have more responsibility to care for others. You have more responsibility to care. You have more responsibility to care for them. You need to find out who the poorest members of Emmanuel are, and you need to ease their burdens. If you're rich, you were made rich so you could lay up more treasures in heaven. You've been given more talents here on earth so you can invest them. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. Now listen, 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 look. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul thinks these wealthy people can be obeying Matthew 6. He thinks these wealthy people can be using their wealth to lay up treasures in heaven. And so the goal is not, hey, stop laying up treasures on earth. That means you need to live check to check. It means you need to give yourself till you're broke. You need to abandon all financial wisdom. That's not what the passage is saying. It's saying abandon living for this life at all. Quit looking for your security in money and material things in this life. And instead, use your whole life, all your talents, all your time, whether you're sick and poor or rich and healthy or some combination of that, use all that you've got to lay it up, to lay up treasures in heaven, to make investments, stay faithful, endure persecution, love the saints, be generous, don't be proud, hold on to Jesus. All of that will actually, and isn't this amazing, you might even, not everyone will get this, you might even be wealthy here on earth and promised more treasures in heaven. It's just grace upon grace upon grace. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your word, your teaching, your liberating teaching. We pray, Lord God, that you would please make us a people who give and who live in such a way that we're laying up treasures in heaven. We're living 100% for the reward. We're living 100% for treasures at the resurrection where they can't be stolen. And whether we have riches here on earth or we don't, we're using whatever we have to lay up more treasures there. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.